I've never dropped a catch mark. Yeah. That's what I keep right. telling you. Get me on that team. <laughs> Welcome to another Cricket Scotland podcast. I'm Jake Perry. And I'm Rosie Ryan. The seasons in the East and the women's game drew to a close last weekend with the final round of the fixtures in the Eastern Premier League and the final of the Beyond Boundary Scottish Cup. And we'll have all the news of that when Gary Heatley joins us a little bit later on. There's all still to play for in the Western Premier, however, after another big win for Fergus Lee ensured that the title race will be going down to the wire. While a huge result at the other end of the table means the battle to stay up is very much alive too. I'll have my report on that a little later on in the show too. But we start with one of the biggest stories of the season, Scotland's historic victory in the European qualifier for the ICC Women's T20 World Cup. We'll be chatting to head coach Mark Coles in a moment, but before that, one of Scotland's players of the year, Megan McCall. Jake caught up with her at the Scottish Cup final on Sunday, where she was playing for Grange to get her reflections on the competition and that Scottish record fifer against France. Oh yeah, it was an absolutely unreal uh, tour. Like being in Spain, like as soon as we showed up, we just like we like just went straight for it, and we were like from the get go, we were like. You know, this is a competition that we can 100% win. Like as a team, we were in such a good place, and obviously, finishing it like as the overall winners, we were just all just absolutely just felt brilliant. <laughs> and I mean, it was difficult going into it because of the the lack of preparation in terms of international cricket. We obviously had a lot of domestic cricket going on, but how important was that, and how useful was that in the in the preparation for what you came up with uh, or came up against in Lamanga? Uh, yeah, so obviously we've had the series against Ireland and that did help us to kind of figure out things that we needed to work on for when we obviously played them in, in La Manga. And then having the um, the Super Series was like, it was such a big help for us all. Like it just totally allowed us to show ourselves and express ourselves. And we just, and then it just allowed us to, to pay off in La Manga where we got the, the overall champions. So yeah, it was amazing, yeah. And, uh, of course, four fantastic wins. But for you, on a personal level, crowned by figures of 5 for 3 against France, the first ever 5 for by a Scottish woman in a T20 international, That must you must be very proud with that. Oh, yeah, I mean, to get, like, to make history and get the first, like, five five wickets for, for Scotland in any, in any type of uh, cricket, was it was just unreal. Like, I wasn't, like, expecting to do anything, like, as crazy as that when I was away. So to do that in the last game, to seal the win for us was just, yeah, it was just incredible, yeah. And so on to the global qualifier, another step up again. Uh, yeah, so we're all looking forward for the global qualifiers now. Um, you know, having now um, being on, like, a winning streak, like, four out of four wins, we are all feeling very confident about it and we're ready to step up to, obviously, the the new challenges that, challenges that we'll face, like, against some teams that we haven't played for a while. Um, but we're obviously going to, like, prepare well uh, throughout the winter and focus on little things that we all have to work on and hopefully as a team we'll be like at the at the highest standard that we can be at like better than we were in La Manga and hopefully we'll come back we'll win from that as well. Megan McCall 
And so to Mark Coles, who spoke to Rosie and me at the end of last week. We had a lot to cover with all that had happened over the previous week or so. And we started by asking about the overriding emotions of it all. Uh, well, exhaustion's one emotion because uh, mentally just really tired, um, particularly when we got back on the Wednesday. We didn't get back till late on Tuesday night. So, uh, yeah, but then sort of it's starting to sink in what the girls have achieved and um, they can feel pretty proud of themselves with, with how they performed. Uh, obviously, German and Fra Germany and France aren't world beaters, but certainly the Dutch potentially could have been an awkward game. And then obviously the Irish was a, was a pretty big game to win. Um, which I think now is, is four times in our history that we've beaten them, which is which is great. And twice in the last three months, I think the girls have knocked them over, so that'll give them a bit of confidence. Yeah, I mean, it was an, an extraordinary week in in lots of ways. You know, crowned by that that Ireland game, and we were very much living it with you from here. Um, so, I mean, if we're taking each game individually, I mean, the first win over the Netherlands that you mentioned really set the tone in many ways, uh, particularly in how Sarah Bryce and Lorna Jack set about the uh, about the chase. Yeah, well, I think it was important that we, you know, the Super Series was really good for the girls because they, they became more confident in their own games and, and we saw big scores posted in that Super Series. So that gave them the ability to be able to go out there with confidence and, and see the ball and hit the ball, which is what we want. And we saw that a little bit from Jacko, who played a really good inning. She was exhausted by the end of that. She'd run herself around in the field and then, you know, as she does, she commits herself to everything. And then obviously she was running twos and threes and uh, it, it was fantastic. And she played really well and, and supported by by Sarah, who, who was allowed to play her own game and, and became a little bit freer, I thought, and played really well. So we virtually shut them out after the first six, I think we were 42 for one after the first six, which had chasing 90 or whatever it was, pretty much set it up. Um, we, we stumbled a little bit, but um, we got over the line pretty confidently. And then we got, we can get onto that in, incredible game against Ireland as well, which began with a great performance in the field to restrict them to 89. What was your message to the team at the halfway point, Mark? Uh, well, we hadn't. We've only completed sort of one half of the game, and we just needed to make sure that we were positive and and got rid of the nerves and just went about chasing the target as we normally would, which didn't really work out that way. To be fair, in the first ten overs, I thought we were we sort of got a little bit nervous again and had gone back into our shells, which which wasn't how we wanted to play. Um, so at at the break, the drinks break, which we had every ten overs because of the heat, it was a pretty clear message that. We need to get on with this, um, otherwise we're going to end up 70 and, and lose by about 11 or 12 runs after 20 overs, and that's not how we play anymore. Um, so it was, it was a simple message, but it was a very clear message that we needed to to get on and start um, playing with a bit more freedom. And Catherine responded really well, I thought, um, batted very, very well and started to play how, how in reflection she should have played in the first 10 overs. Um, and then, you know, I thought Becky came out and played a magnificent innings uh, and just supported her so so well and 2012-19 basically changed the game and Becky's always showed uh, uh, glimpses of that form but uh, you know I think that but hopefully that's the, that's the turning point of her career now and she understands her role a, a lot and, and what she has to offer. Yeah I mean that, that was a real captain's knot from Bryce as, as you say and and it's interesting that you mentioned Becky too I mean she didn't enjoy as you say the easiest time in Ireland in May but really came into her own over the course of the domestic summer and 
seeing her take that belief into the international arena as well has just been has just been a really good thing. Uh, I think for us to for us to see this uh, this time. Yeah, look, she's she's a talented kid. Um, I, I think half the problem is that you know with this team is they're going to start believing that they're they're talented players um, uh, and just you know get out there and play the game rather than worry about what could happen, might happen, or may never happen. To be honest, but. Um, we, we spoke a lot about the fact that we we had nothing to lose in that game and the pressure was on, on Ireland. They, they virtually had to win, really, um, and, and we didn't because we weren't the we weren't the favourites. And we, we tend to, from my experience, my brief experience, we, we tend to like the, the underdog tag a lot in Scotland. So that suited me. And, um, you know, before the game, I looked over and Locke, Lo- Locke Lohman was playing. Not, not that I'm familiar with that song, but I am now. And... I looked over into our tent and the girls were, were doing the clap, clapping and uh, some of them were uh, dancing Scottish Highland Fling. And I thought, this is absolutely brilliant. And the Irish, they they had no idea what was going on. Uh, so they responded with Dancing Queen by ABBA. Um, and honestly, if it was on British, British has got talent or Britain's got talent, it's a no from me. So I knew then that we were... Um, <laughs> we we'd had sort of upset them a little bit, uh, and, and I, I just think that that relaxed our players quite a bit. So when they went out on the field, they were a little bit relaxed, and then we sort of just incorporated that into our warm ups. To be honest, so it's sort of part of our warm ups now that we do a bit of a Highland fling and clap clap hands. And and you must have been really delighted to just see the fearlessness in which they went about it as well. You know, Catherine, Becky, obviously getting us over the line. How have you kind of instilled that in the players at the moment, Mark? Well, it's a, I keep telling them that it's a game for failure. So you, you're going to fail more times than than you probably succeed in this game. So you might as well make the most of, of you know, what you've got in front of you. And just don't worry. I mean, one of the things that I did say... Uh, you know, when we're fielding is, I don't care if you make mistakes, but please, you cannot show any emotion. Otherwise, there will be a very clear message sent. So if you drop a catch, which most people do, um, I haven't met anyone that's played cricket and hasn't dropped a catch. Uh, Well, with the exception of you two, or have you both dropped catches? (laughs) Far more than I've caught. I've never dropped a catch, Mark. That's what I keep telling you. Get me on that team. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, two out of three then. But... um, uh, you know, but you can't show any emotion because that just brings everybody down. And if you bowl a wide, it doesn't matter. You get another ball. Um, and then, you know, we've just got to be positive and play play how we can play and take them on. And, and I was pretty disappointed with the first 10. I thought we mucked around too much. Um, but then that second 10, you couldn't ask for any more on a difficult pitch and scoring at 6.8 and over, which is what we needed. I, I thought they played brilliantly and, and that's how we want to play. So... I think for Catherine and Sarah, it's sort of hopefully it's it's given them a bit of confidence as to know that other girls can play like that, and so that it, it might mean that in the future they don't need to worry so much about it's on us to win this game um, because the you know Becky showed that they they go out there and, and be really positive. But I also thought you know Abby had a little contribution there, and the way that McGill went out and tried to be really positive, even though it didn't come off, I thought was really really good too. So. To see that is very pleasing. You've touched on it already um, in one of your previous previous answers uh, in regard to the Super Series and the the way that the 
that the batters went about that in particular. Uh, and indeed the WPL, we saw that too. You know, the positivity that was so noticeable in both those competitions was very evident here as well. Um, and not least in Scotland's final two games against Germany and France. I mean, what did you make of, of those performances? Yeah, well, I thought, you know, we, we had a meeting after the Irish game and the, the, the message was is that by all means celebrate you know, the success that you've had. Uh, and, and I think the girls had a couple of drinks that night because we had a rest day the next day. And um, Because, you know, they obviously haven't beaten Ireland a lot, but, but the very clear message was is that as of midnight, that's the end of that day and it's basically fish and chip paper, really, and, and don't 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 drink your own cordial. I think that's the worst mistake you can make is, is thinking about that because Germany will, will have their own challenges. Um so we were very determined. We changed the team around a little bit to give the other three that, that hadn't had a go a game. And I thought Elsa Lister did very well. And Sam Hargo showed glimpses. And, and uh, Kara Scott fielded really, really well, which just didn't get a go off the bat because we were chasing a low total. But it was good to give them a go. And I think that freshened up the group a little bit to go, OK, we've got three new faces in here and they're, they're going to give it their best. So that worked out pretty well and, and we got over the line with them and then we played France uh, on the last day and uh, look I, I thought the first 10, 10 overs of that was pretty ordinary as well we weren't following the game plan we weren't following our bowling plans um, and then so they got another very clear message that you start following your bowling plans and, and things will happen for you but you just got to be really patient and then we, we you know we bowled them out for 24 and as it can happen in those games we lost a couple of the Catherine and Sarah were out, um, but I don't think it was ever in danger of, of not being chased. Um, so the French were happy that, that, you know, they got a couple of wickets or three wickets and we were happy that we won the competition. And, uh, and, and talking about, I guess, those bowling performances as well, two big standouts in those games, uh, Catherine Fraser with three for six against Germany and, and Megan McCall with five for three against France, the first five for for any Scottish women in T20 international cricket. How would you describe their contribution to the team and the way which you're looking to see, you know, to see them play as well, Mark? Well, Fraser's a good cricketer, no doubt about that. You know, um, and she's got a very good head on her shoulders for such a young person. So she'll she'll go she'll go a long way. And and Megan's just quietly determined. Um, although I, th I think she came out of a shell a, a lot more in this tour than, than the last tour. I think her and Catherine are now talking, which is great. She's a bit frightened of Catherine. Um, Bryce, that is, not Fraser. But, um, you know, she, she came to me in the rest day um, and said to me, what, what do I do to get a bowl here? And so we were we were talking in reception. And I said, look, it's just the way that it is at the moment, you know, and, and Catherine, Bryce probably... Just needs to to trust you a little bit more, and um, and so she's going to the players that she trusts, the older ones, which is natural because she's played with them a lot longer than she has with Megan. And just as we were talking, Catherine happened to walk past, so I called her over, and and they 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 had a little chat, um, and then you know blow me down. Catherine gave her a couple of overs, and she ended up with five. So I think she was pretty determined to prove that you know she can bowl and. Um, Whilst it was against France, you still got to get them. Um, and, and she managed to pick up five wickets because she stuck to the bowling plan. So, you know, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of bright points in this team. And, and those two that you talk about, are, are, and Elsa Lister, I think, are three three players that could make an impact um, 
in that hundred club to come. In fact, I was talking to Nathan Horrocks just via email a couple of days ago, and he said we're looking for a spinner. Who have you got? So you know, Abtahar and Catherine Fraser are clearly two names that have gone forward. So he he's sort of doing a lot of work for spin bowlers for the Brisbane Heat and the Queensland Fire. So you know, watch the space. They're they're starting to take notice of of what what we're doing over here. So that would be fantastic to to get a couple of girls over there and playing or just being involved in the squad. Oh, certainly would. I mean, so when you look back on this tournament then in the in the weeks and months to come, what is it that you're going to be most proud of? And what is it then that you think the team as a whole should be taking from it? Oh, well, I think, uh, good question, Jake. I think most proud of just the way that they conducted themselves off the field as well. They were, they were ambassadors to Scotland off the field. They always tidied up after themselves. They always made sure that the tent was as, as clean as it was when we when we entered it, which I think is very important. And the way that they handled themselves with the other teams, you know, Abtahar and Catherine and Sarah are obviously favourites with France and Germany. Um, because of what they've done, but the the time that they spent talking to those players, which I think is really important for the growth of the game, but also how they they're playing the game with a lot more confidence now. Um, I think that that's probably pretty satisfying, and and maybe now that we're starting to know each other better, both as a coach and player, and player as a coach, I think helps too. So that there's there's that little bit of belief that they can beat Ireland, um, they can beat the Dutch, and and I think they can beat other teams too. They have to play well. Um, but that, that's probably what I'm most proud of. But it, look, it's a tiny step in, in where we need to go. It's a very infantile step forward, but it, it's a step forward in the right direction. Mark Coles. And so to look back on the final weekend of action in the Eastern Premier League, we're delighted to welcome Gary Heatley once more. Gary, how are you? Good, thanks, Jake. Nice to be back again. Great to see you. Well, before we hear your final report from the Eastern Premier, let's wrap up the end of what has been a fantastic season of women's domestic cricket. Huge credit goes to you, Rosie, for all that you've done in organising it. And we had a fitting end to the summer on Sunday at Nunham with the Beyond Boundaries Scottish Cup Finals Day. Yes, Jake, thank you. Oh, I was delighted that the weather held up at Dumfries Cricket Club and we managed to get all of the finals going ahead as planned, um, everything going very smoothly. So that was just fab. So the first semi-final saw West of Scotland v Grange battle out for the final spot at Dumfries Cricket Club. The well-known Megan McCall stood her ground for Grange, who batted first after losing the toss. Megan smashed a total of 62, but no one found it easy to build a consistent partnership with her. Catherine Edwards also falling for 10 after facing 12 balls. Grange scored a total of 107 with a total loss of seven wickets to the West fielding team. In particular, Anne Sturgis from West and Moon Mugis picked up two wickets each. In the second innings, West came out all guns blazing in reply to Grange with their total of 107. Opener Ellen Watson hitting 53 not outs of 39 balls. However, when Kirsty McCall picked up the first wicket of Neymar Sheik, it looked like Grange could still be in with a chance of getting into that final. Coming at three was Charlotte Dalton Howells, who was on particular form, hitting 31 runs not out. West of Scotland then winning by nine wickets in the first semi-final. The second semi-final saw George Watson's College Cricket Club take on Carlton. 
George Watson's winning the toss and electing to bat first. Nina Whitaker battled out against the strong Carlton bowlers, hitting the highest for George Watson's a total of 24 before being bowled by Caris Scott, who took two for eight on the day. Unfortunately, George Watson's found it hard to find a consistent partnership in the field with Macy Misiera, Samantha Hagel and Caris Scott all taking two wickets each. In fantastic bowling form was also Abby Aiken Drummond, who took four for five runs. The chase to beat George Watson's total of 56 came quickly for Carlton's side as Macy Maciera hit a total of 11, Zara Dansu with seven not outs and Abby Aiken Drumming hitting 34 not out. Carlton women then winning by nine wickets to see them into the finals against West of Scotland. So for the final, the toss was won by Carlton with skipper Annette Aiken Drummond deciding to have a bowl first. Opening the bowling was Hannah Rainey, who picked up the first opener, Nema Sheikh, for LBW. Quickly after, saw the other opener for West Ellen Watson, who was bowled by Caris Scott for 12. A fine bowling performance from Carlton saw regular wickets against the West of Scotland batting side. Hannah Rainey, Caris Scott both taking three wickets and Abby Aitken Drummond taking two for nine. With a total of 72 posted by West of Scotland, the Carlton duo, Abby and Annette Aitken Drummond opened the batting. The first wicket taken quickly from the West side with Abby Aitken Drummond being bowled for LBW from Sophie Trickett. Soon after, the same happened for Caris Scott, then fell to the fine bowling from the West spinner Sophie Trickett. As much of a fight as West put on, taking five wickets within the 11 overs, it just wasn't enough for Carlton, who fought hard, smashing 73 within the 11th. Annette picking up 15 runs, Samantha Hagel hitting 10 and Zara with 17, all to get Carlton over the line and pick up the Beyond Boundaries T20 Women's Scottish Cup. A huge congratulations to Carlton and well done to all of the sides that took part in the Scottish Cup this year. It was fantastic to watch. And I just want to particularly say thank you to Beyond Boundaries as well and Keith Wilson uh, for sponsoring that tournament. It has been fantastic this year and um, onwards and upwards. And it was great to see an entry from Grange as well for the first time this year. So already looking forward to next year. So thanks to everyone that helped on the day. And after the final, Jake spoke to the winning captain, Annette Aitken Drummond. Annette, league champions, now Scottish Cup winners. How are you feeling? Yes, we're delighted, absolutely delighted. We, our main aim was to, to win the league this season, so to do the double, um, we've kind of exceeded our expectations, so we're really, really pleased. Made to work hard in the final there. Yeah, um, <laughs> I know. We were, we've kind of, we've not been too bad at doing that this season, but I think maybe just the occasion... Chasing a low total seems to be a tricky for us, but we've got we're lucky that we've got people that can bat throughout the team. So the young ones have come in again today and done a really good job with Zara and Maisie and a couple of other people have contributed. So I'm just really pleased that it's been a team effort that's won us the cup. So yeah, that's really, really pleasing. That was what really struck me actually. We spoke on the podcast uh, a while ago about the club and about the balance of players that you have and experience and youth and really fitting that it was your youngsters that took you over the line in the end. Yeah, definitely. They've, they've been working hard all season and you know they've been playing regional cricket and they've been playing a lot of cricket. So for them to, to take advantage of that opportunity and the nerves would have been 
would have been definitely been a bit nervous out there today. So the fact that they've they've gone in and done a job and kept their heads and, and played positively, I think that's the the real key is making sure that you don't go in when you're nervous and kind of start to defend it or get a bit tense. So the fact that they've went in and played still played a positive brand of cricket has been really, really good. Enjoy the celebrations. Thank you. <laughs> Many congratulations to Carlton, who have been the team to beat from day one of the summer. They thoroughly deserve their success. And to Charlotte Dalton Howells and West of Scotland, who pushed them so hard in that final. It's been a season to remember for them, too, after that delayed start, which seems so long ago now. And as Rosie said, roll on next year. Definitely. And the I's and T's have been dotted and crossed in the Eastern Premier, too. Gary. Yes, that's right. Saturday saw the final round of fixtures and with Herrick's having clinched the league title and the double as a result last week, on Saturday all eyes were on the bottom of the table in Victory Park in Perthshire where 10th place Meagle took on 9th place Stuart's Melbourne. The equation was simple. Win the game and your club would stay up in the top flight. So it was perhaps not a surprise that there was nervous on both sides. In a match slightly affected by the weather, Stu Mel batted first and really had to dig in to make it up to 195 all out using up 43 of their 44 allocated overs. Ben Wilkinson top scored with 38, Andrew Appleton made 34, skipper Stephen Parker 33 and Greg Bissett 32, while five home bowlers took wickets, including three for 17 for Sohail Ahmed. Two early wickets from impressive youngster Joe Newman for Stumel reduced Meagle to six for two in reply, and it was then up to Alan Neve and Peter Drummond Jr. to rebuild things. They made 47 of 44 respectively, and then Gordon Lamb and skipper Charles Clark made 28 and 19. But when the latter was run out by Wilkinson, Meagle had fallen agonisingly nine runs short of the advised DLS target of 197 they were chasing from 44 overs. Kyle McCallum took four wickets for Stumel, and the eight-run victory actually meant they ended up in eighth place in the league, leapfrogging Stonywood Dice. So they headed back down to Edinburgh smiling, while Meagle's one-year stay in the division has come to an end. But their captain, Charles Clark, and the rest of the team can be proud of what they've done this year and they've been a great addition to the league. Who replaces Meagle in the top flight for 2022 is now the next question and ESCA Championship winners Gala and Strathmore and Persia Union champions Falkland are set to meet at Fruquet this coming Saturday in the promotion playoff match. Back to Saturday just gone and for champions Harriets, Matthew Cross made 84, Lloyd Brown 74, Ryan Brown a quickfire 49 not out and Michael Sheen 35 not out as they chased down a revised target of 264 to defeat Grange at Portgower Place to finish the season on a real high before Captain Mark Watt was presented with the Championship Shield by Cricket Scotland's Tony Bryan. Carlton finished second in the league and ended things with a win over Stonia Dice, who, as I mentioned, slipped to ninth. While 2019 champions Forfarshire finished fourth after they defeated fifth place Watts Reigns, while the mid table battle between sixth place Arbroath and seventh place RHC was reined off. But it was a cracking last Saturday to end what's been a great summer in the Eastern Premier. Looking back in the Eastern Premier season as a whole, what has been the standout stories for you, Gary? Well, in general, for me, I guess it's just been the standard of cricket that's been played because after pretty much a year off in 2020, I wasn't quite sure what to expect. But the, the players, all the clubs have delivered. Um, there were some great matches in the league and although Henry started the season as favourites, they were pushed all the, the way by Carlton and they still had to go there and do it on a regular basis. There's no doubt that Scotland batsman Matthew Cross was a brilliant addition for Herits, scoring well over a 1,000 runs for them this summer. And while their squad is full of talent, it's also built on a strong team spirit. 
and that's been evident since early May when they lost on the opening day. In fact, they haven't lost a league game since then. Credit to you to Stumel for really battling hard to stay up by winning their last two games. And hopefully their younger players, like the aforementioned Joe Newman and Harry Armstrong, will have benefited from being exposed to this level of cricket over the summer. As I say, in general, it's just been a, a really enjoyable season to watch in the East. Um, you know, until the last three or four weeks, there wasn't a lot of games lost to the weather. You know, there was a few upsets. Um, you know, there's, there's a strong three or four teams in the league, but there was there was other times where, where teams near the bottom upset the apple car, and it's been, uh, been really exciting to watch. Well, thanks again, Gary. It's been brilliant to have you on and over the course of the season. Not a problem. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. And another league that looks to be alive to the very end is the Western Premier Division, Jake. Very much so, Rosie. After two massive results at either end of the table uh, last weekend, I was at Mugelrigs for the big game at the top between second place Fergus Lee and third place Prestwick, who still entertain title hopes of their own after only two defeats for the season. But it turned out to be the home side who triumphed after a brilliant innings from Omar Hussain set up what turned into a comfortable 79 run win in the end. After Fergusley skipper Riyad Henry won the toss and chose to bat, the left-hand right-hand pair of Hussain and Gregor Preston-Jones made a largely untroubled start, uh, Preston-Jones finding the boundary with a lovely swivelling pull before his opening partner brought up the 50 with a jab over mid-wicket and a leaning drive through the offside in the 10th. Some raggedness in the field was hardly helping Prestwick's cause, Omer benefiting from a misfield off Majid Hack's second ball as another four came via the covers. But Hack had the last laugh a couple of balls later as he held one back a little to Preston Jones, who edged it to Sachin Chowdhury at first slip. 60 for one, but an excellent foundation had been laid. And with spin now at both ends, new batsman Riyad Henry joined Omer in building on it, manoeuvring the ball into the gaps to keep the scoreboard ticking over. And although Hussein benefited from a drop in the 18th, his 50 in the 23rd was very much deserved. But then came a big moment as Riyad was run out by a brilliant direct hit from Indrajit Singh. And while Fergusley then looked to accelerate, wickets at crucial times kept Prestwick in the game. Tamor Ahmed was bold, attempting to reverse sweep Fraser MacDonald for 25 before Adil Ghaffar was stumped off the same bowler for six. And when Omer then feathered behind for 98, a really classy knock from the former Scotland man, the score was 189 for five. Two brilliant catches by Ewan Macbeth and Mitchell Rao removed David Stafford and Hamid Mahmood before a run out off the final ball of the inning saw Fergusley close on 228. Great effort from Prestwick in pulling back an innings that the hosts had dominated for long periods, Fraser MacDonald ending with 5 for 47, but a challenging total to chase all the same. Especially with Fergusley's seam attack as the opening pair of Gaffar and Henry gave Jacob Stafford and Gurupreet Singh an uncomfortable introduction, with a number of deliveries that flew past the bat. That little bit of grass on the light green tinted pitch certainly favoured the seamers, the ball skipping off the surface to keep a David Stafford head high, and those opening overs were noticeably quicker than anything we'd seen in the day so far. And in the fifth, Gaffar got his reward as Stafford was bowled for four, and when skipper MacDonald was caught by Uzair Ahmed to give Gaffar his second, Prestwick was wobbling at 24 for two. Soon it was 40 for 3 as Majid Hack was trapped leg before by his cousin Harun Tahir and then 40 for 4 as Singh fell to a heave across the line to Daud Tahir. 
Sachin Chowdhury had been in good form with the bat, but after surviving a couple of scares, a nick that fell inches short of Riyadh at Gully, then a lofted drive that a sprinting Haroon couldn't quite hold on to, he fell too, to a superb catch by Riyadh diving to his left at mid-wicket. Tom Fleet and Mitchell Rao gave Presswick hope, but when Mitchell was bowled and Tom caught the first of four wickets for Hamid Mahmood, their last chance had gone. 149 all out in the end and, providing Fergus Lee can get past Langside next week, a final day meeting with Clydesdale at Meeklerigs will decide the destination of the title. So, after the game, I caught up with Hamid Mushi Mahmood and Omar Hussain and first, Prestwick captain Fraser MacDonald. Fraser, battle hard today but not to be in the end. Not to be, you know, we... Um, kudos to, to Fergus, they... Um, they batted really well to start. We didn't really hit our starts with the ball with a new ball. Um, too many runs square to the wicket, I'd say. If you looked at a score chart, not many down the ground, so too many. But uh, I thought, obviously, Omar Hussain batted extremely well. Uh, debatable run out there. Um, probably run out easy. Uh, well, certainly in a third dump, I'd be good, I'm pretty sure it'd be uh, run out. But these things these things happen. They sometimes go against you. And... Same time, we had a fantastic run out of uh, Riyadh Henry, so we've got to take that in the chin. But um, thoroughly deserved win for uh, for Ferguson. And having said that, though, I mean in the field that that, that run out of Riyadh seemed to really kickstart things. You know, you held your catches really well, and mm-hmm. at the halfway point, you'd done really well to sort of peg them back to that total of two to eight. But yeah. just getting partnerships together when you were batting yeah. seemed to be the issue. I mean, on the Riyadh thing, we've always we always kind of felt that. I think. Fergus are a very good, rounded young team, but we always kind of feel as if if they lose a Riyadh or an Omar, uh, possibly in Tamur early enough, uh, I don't know if there's much uh, batting now there a lot of the time, and they sort of just keep. They almost wanted to go way too early as if they wanted a 270, 280 score, which was on, um, but they just kept coming at us. So they they kind of probably threw away a 250, 260 first. Uh, First inning score and ourselves not enough ticker with a, a batting against the new ball. I think you just got to trust yourself on a good deck that, you know, even if you are sort of uh, 30 for naught or 45 at 15, um, that we chase it down. Because um, we know that their, their, their fifth bowler isn't fantastic either, that kind of bits and pieces bowl as their fifth bowler. So, um, no, but we didn't put ourselves in a position to give us that chance. You lose too much, lose four wickets by the 15th over. You're asking the, the five, six, seven to climb a mountain, um, and we kept we carried on losing wickets. So, but I put that pretty much on the top five, top six. There's not enough ticker there today, um, and that's what's hurt us, hurt us in a few of the games. It hurt us against um, Clydesdale at home. It's a really, really bad one as well. Not enough ticker. Mushy, congratulations! Four wickets on the day. How was it out there? Yeah, it was good, man. It was split tough, man. We got the runs on the board, and started to bowl well. I thought they started well. And then our pacers bowled well up front, and then we came back during the middle with a spin. They were quite difficult to shift, weren't they? I mean, they, they were battling hard all the way through there. Yeah, they made us stay in the field for 44 hours, you know. Um, I, thought, I thought overall we fielded well. I don't think we conceded much extras in the game, but yeah, I thought credit goes to the bowlers. I thought everybody bowled well in the day. So, done the tight performance on to Langside next week? Yeah, we just have to take every game as it comes. Two games to go. Hopefully, Next next week and then Clydesdale on the last day. Hopefully we'll see where it takes us. Congratulations again. Cheers again. Thanks. Thanks very much. So Omar, congratulations on a, a brilliant knock. How was it out there? Yeah, really good. Obviously uh, we had a little bit of rain at the start, so we weren't really sure how the wicket was going to play, but 
Uh, Moss, well, to be honest, we put a lot of work into the wicket, so I actually played really well. So credit to the, our groundsman as well, and and obviously credit to our new roller. It's uh, made such a difference here. Uh, like 250 scores, um, probably a, a, an average here. A terrific performance from the team all round, really. I mean, after this fantastic win last week against uh, Uddingston, another massive hurdle uh, cleared today in Prestwick. Yeah, it just shows uh, we've got the, just the strength and depth in this team. Just there's so many match winners. You know, it's, it's good to see that uh, you know there's other guys stepping up instead of like Riyadh or Tamir who have kind of carried us kind of all season as well. So, but it just shows you we, we have a lot of strength and depth in our team. And if all goes to plan next week, big showdown final week of the season is on. Yeah, um, obviously Clydesdale are our biggest rivals. Uh, so. Just take one game at a time. Hopefully, beat Langside next week. Then we'll take it as it comes like when it comes to Clydesdale. Congratulations! Thanks again. very much, Jake. Thank you. The game against Langside next week is no foregone conclusion after the league's seventh-place side gave leaders Clydesdale an almighty scare at Titwood. The hosts looked on course for a straightforward win after restricting the visitors to 150 for six, but after falling to 134 for nine themselves, an upset looked very much on the cards. But Dale's last wicket pair of Zeeshan Bashir and Callum Drummond stood firm to take their team over the line in the 46th over. The other story of the week is at the other end of the table. While Greenock's relegation was confirmed by a crushing 194 run loss to West of Scotland, Dumfries climbed back above Pollock with a stunning nine wicket win over Stirling County at Nunham. Chris Brockwell took 6 for 25 and Scott Beveridge 3 for 21 as Sterling was dismissed for just 84, the host then taking only 13.1 overs to knock off the runs. With Pollock facing a trip to Prestwick after losing by 83 to Uddingston and the result of Dumfries's appeal for the points from their controversially abandoned game at Greenock still unknown, there is just as much excitement at the foot of the table as there is at the top. Well, Jake, it's very much all to play for still, and we'll be there every step of the way again. But that's it from us from this Cricket Scotland podcast for another week. We'll be back again next Tuesday with that news from the Western Premier, as well as a look at heads of Scotland Under-19's World Cup qualifier and the full team's three T20s against Zimbabwe, the first international cricket will have seen in Scotland since the Women's World Cup qualifier back in 2019. But until then, thanks to all of our guests and to you again for listening. From the three of us, goodbye.